Good morning. Good to see everybody here. Welcome our visitors. Let's go ahead and pray as we begin to look into God's word. Father, we thank you for how much we can mention, that we can praise you for. We thank you for those who are helping those who are in need uh, in, in Bratislava and other places. Lord, we pray that you would cause this war to end and Lord, that you would help those who are being hurt and killed. And Lord, we pray that there would be a good resolution to this. And Father, now we ask you to guide us as we look into your word to get the, what you want us to have from it, to get the meaning out of your word so that we can uh, draw closer to you and know you better. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we all go through disappointments, don't we? And life can seem unfair at times. Because we may suffer significant losses at times. We may have had people cheat us and get away with it and never seem to have to pay for it. We may have been betrayed by someone that we thought we could trust and we did trust. We may have experienced trouble even in a church where we thought everybody should be loving and accepting and kind, and then, boom, something bad happens to you. We know marriages fall apart. We know children may drift in a lifestyle, into a lifestyle or into activities that we didn't uh, bring them up to do. And then we may see things in our society and our world and in our world that make us even shudder. And so my question is, at times like these, are we tempted, are you tempted to be disappointed with God? Does it ever cross your mind, like, God, how could you have allowed this? Did I do something to deserve this? God, are you keeping your promises that I've read about in your word you may think you know lord i i turn to you because i was told that jesus was the answer to life and so where was he in my time of greatest need <clears throat> there's an account in the bible where some people very close to jesus became very disappointed with him and it's actually a part of our Easter series that we're beginning this week because it is one of the very crucial events in the Gospel of John leading up to Jesus, well, the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. So we're going to be in the Gospel of John in chapter 11. We're going to have the verses on the screen. But this account teaches us something extremely important about what we can expect from Jesus because, you see, it really a lot of times comes down to what are our expectations. If our expectations are wrong, then we can become, we become very bitter. We, we can have the wrong thoughts about God and about what Jesus is doing for us. And today, in fact, we see a lot of people turning away from the faith, turning against the Bible, and it comes down to expectations. So what we want to do is we want to have the right expectations. 
And we get them from the word, don't we? So we're going to be in Gospel of John chapter 11. It's an amazing story, and it has something very, very rich for us. So look, if you will, the, the verses will be on the screen, but if you have your Bible, that's great too. But look at uh, the first three verses of John chapter 11. It says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Of course, Lazarus was their brother. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, this, um, there was another lady that came in to Jesus when he was in the house of Simon the Pharisee, and she was, you know, lamenting over her sin, her great sin. She was probably a prostitute, and she was crying and rubbing Jesus' feet with her hair. She wet them with her tears and then poured perfume. But this is a different incident. This is a different, or this is a different person. This is Mary of Mary and Martha fame. And this is when uh, she poured perfume to anoint Jesus' body with oil before he, you know, for his burial. He said for his burial. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So Martha and Mary send word to Jesus that Lazarus, their brother, is sick. And you know, it was a serious sickness we learned and it must have been even back then at the beginning because Jesus had just, re, had just gone back from there, from Bethany. And so now they're calling him back right away because Lazarus is sick. And they referred to him as the one you love. Jesus was very, was very close to Lazarus. He was very close to that family, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. So let's see how he responds to this call for help. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. That tells us how serious it was. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. He keeps jumping Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. That's where Mary and Martha, no, they were in Bethany. Uh, <clears throat> anyway, Jesus says, that this sickness will not end up in death, but it's going to be for the glorification of the Son so that the Father may be honored in him. So God is going to use Lazarus' sickness to bring about something very, very good. And it's going to bring honor to Jesus Christ, which will bring great honor to the Father. So now, let's look at 5 and through 7 again. 
Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days, and then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Now, that had always sounded a little funny to me when I first started reading the Bible, because it says how much Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But then he says, then it says he waited two more days before he started back. And here are Mary and Martha scared that Lazarus is going to die. You'd almost expect Jesus to say, all right, they're worried sick, let's get back. But I think as we move to verse 8, it kind of explains it. <clears throat> Here's what the disciples said when Jesus said that after two days later. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? In chapter 10, the end of verse, uh, chapter 10 here in the Gospel of John, it tells how the Jews got mad at Jesus. Of course, they were always mad at Jesus, but he said something in particular, and they picked up stones to stone him. And then when he said something about that, then they grabbed him, and they were so angry they were going to kill him, but he just kind of walked away from them. It was just an act of God. So when it says that Jesus stayed there two more days before he left, the thought really wasn't, why did he wait so long to go back? The disciples were thinking, why are you going back so soon when they want to kill you? So it's a whole different way to look at it. But also Jesus had another reason to wait two days to go back, and we'll find that out in a minute. Here's what he says at this point. He's, you know, the disciples are saying, you can't go back there because they're looking to kill you. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. What Jesus is saying, <clears throat> you know, literally, physically, he's saying... When you walk by daylight, then you don't stumble. When you walk at night, you don't see everything and you stumble. But then, if we look into this story, we know that Jesus is talking more than just physical daylight. He's referring to walking by God's light. Because he's going back to a place where people want to kill him. And he's knowing that he's under the protection of God. He's, he's talking about walking by the light of truth, the light of righteous motives, the light of following God and doing things according to your faith in God and not selfish motives or evil intentions. So he's talking about if he's living according to God's plan, if he's, <clears throat> excuse me, if he is walking according to the light of God that God gives him, then he doesn't have to worry about it. You know, walking in night is what people do when they don't want anyone to see what they're doing, right? They want that cover of darkness to hide the things that they are doing. They don't want their motives revealed. That's walking by night. Walking in the light is being involved in things that please God, honorable, good things that you're not ashamed to say why you're doing them or what you're doing. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, 
We're going back to the place where they just tried to kill me days ago, but we're going to do back to do something honorable and pleasing to the Father and something that the Father is going to bless and bring a lot of good out of. This is walking in the light. Now, <clears throat> I want to make a distinction here. I'm not saying, and the Bible doesn't say, that every time you walk in the light, you are going to be totally protected from God's enemies, that you'll never get hurt physically, that you won't have to suffer for it, because we know every day Christians are suffering in different parts of the world when they are completely walking in the light. They're suffering from the enemies of the gospel. But you know, even if we are persecuted for doing what is right, we are still protected by God because he has us in his hand and our eternal destiny is totally protected if we're walking by the light. No matter what people do to us, no matter if they take our earthly lives, we are safe in his hands when we walk by the light, which is walking by faith in Christ. No matter what happens to us physically, if our faith is anchored in Christ, our eternal souls are totally protected. Nobody can take that away. Nobody can do anything. You know, they think when they kill a Christian, they're gaining so much, they're not hurting that Christian a bit at all. Walking in the light, the unbreakable, impenetrable protection of God because our faith is solidly placed in the sacrifice of Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. And that's what walking in the light is. <clears throat> now, we can always be confident when we are walking in God's light, even if our physical lives are in danger. So Jesus says, let's go back to Judea. And going to the same place they tried to kill him just days before, he's walking in the light because he's walking according to God's plan. So now let's look at verses 11 through 16 and see how Jesus reveals his plan a little more plainly. After he had said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. I would have said the same thing, right? <laughs> Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, also known as Didymus, meaning twin, said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Jesus lets his disciples know that Lazarus has actually physically died. And he tells his disciples that for their sakes, he's glad he wasn't there when Lazarus was dying so that they can believe. Now, if he would have been there when Lazarus was dying, he could have healed Lazarus and kept him from dying, right? And then the disciples would have seen something they had seen so many times before because Jesus healed people all the time. 
But Jesus wasn't there to stop his friend from dying. He could now show his disciples something even greater than his healing power. And he said, it's going to, bring glory, it's going to glorify the Son and bring honor to his Father. Now, there's a major lesson waiting for us here, for the disciples and for us here on the horizon. And it is going to glorify the Son, which will bring glory to the Father. And it will be a major part of the disciples being strengthened in their faith for their future work. But before that, what about this statement that Thomas makes? <clears throat> you know, Jesus, he tells them they're going to go, and he says all these things to them that we read, and then Thomas says, well, we might as well go too and die with him. On the one hand, it seems like it's kind of a, a, a brave and faithful statement, like we'll, die, we'll go and die with Jesus. But on the other hand, it seems like he wasn't really paying attention closely to Jesus' words. Jesus said that this illness would not end in death, but it would end in his glorification. And then he said he's glad he wasn't there for Lazarus dying, his death, and he's going to go wake him up. And he's doing that so that they can believe, that they will believe. And then Thomas says, let's go so we can die with him. I think he wasn't listening real closely. So, you know, even though you can appreciate the dedication and bravery of Thomas, he's willing to die with Christ, he doesn't seem to be placing much stock into the words that Jesus is saying. Because, you know... We just kind of go off of what we experience and what we see. And if Jesus takes us on further than that to what we believe beyond what we can see, that's hard to bring into our hearts. Even when we're told, we, we kind of just go back to what we can see and what we experience. <clears throat> they know that Jesus' enemies are intent on killing him. And, of course, they were there probably when, I'm sure they were there, when they took him out to the edge of the cliff and had him ready to be thrown over, and he just kind of walked away. And they're not sure how that happened. But they're not fully trusting in Jesus' words. Even though they respect Jesus and love him, some of the, some of the things are just going right by them. There's a lot of stuff going on in this account. We're going to see a lot more. But it, it's all a part of who Jesus is, how God works, and how God accomplishes his will, his will, and how we can stop from being disappointed in Jesus. At the beginning, we talked about being disappointed. But now we're going to see some serious disappointment with Jesus. And it's going to help us for the rough times that we run into. So, look at verses 17 through 19. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. <clears throat> so that's the scene that Jesus comes upon. He makes, the, the Apostle John 
makes two points here that makes it clear that Lazarus is dead. There's no, there is no question to whether he's dead or not. He's been in the tomb four days, and there is even a belief amongst the Jews that the soul remained with the body, the, the deceased body, for three days. And so anything past three days was certain. That person's dead. The other point is that many Jews had come to comfort Martha and Mary, and that's what neighbors do when somebody dies. And so John is telling us here that Lazarus is clearly dead because what's going to happen, people are going to question that, and there's abundant testimony that Lazarus died. So let's continue with 20, verse 20, 27. It says, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. She's saying, Lord... You weren't here. And because you weren't here, my brother died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Now the first thought, it looks like she's saying, but I know even now you can raise him back up. But she's not saying that. Because we're going to, as we read, it's going to be very evident that she's not saying that. So let's go on here. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, Jesus is trying to drive a point here and she's not getting it. <clears throat> Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me in me will never die. Do you believe this? And her answer is, Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of the world. She didn't quite say what he said, did she? There's something really important going on here. And the wording can kind of throw us off when she says, but whatever you ask for, God will do. It looks like she's saying, you weren't here to prevent his death, but you can ask God to raise him back up. But really, Jesus says, your brother will rise. And she goes, yeah, I know, he'll rise at the end of time, at the end of the, the, this age. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me can have eternal life, will rise from the dead. You see, Jesus is talking about raising Lazarus now. We know that, don't we? Jesus is talking about, I am the resurrection and the life. If I'm here, Lazarus can raise up if I say so. But Martha's mind isn't going there. And again, she's just thinking of what, what always happens, right? She's thinking, 
Yes, Lord, I know he'll rise in the last day. And then when he says he's the resurrection, resurrection, she says, I believe you are the Messiah, who, the one who was to come. And Jesus is trying to explain to her that he is right there, right now, right here in front of her, the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? He can bring the dead back to life. He's the one that overcomes death, who restores the dead to life. But Martha's mind isn't going there. She still believes that Jesus is the long-awaited king of Israel. She still believes that God hears him and answers his prayers. She still believes in the resurrection at the last day. But she's still disappointed that Jesus was not there to stop her brother from dying. So even though she loves Jesus and believes a lot about him, she's disappointed that he wasn't there to stop her brother from dying. And now watch we go to Mary. <clears throat> After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. Well, you can tell, you know, that she, after Jesus says this, and he's saying, I can raise your brother right now, she, she, she goes off and, and uh, gets her sister. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. She's disappointed, isn't she? When Jesus saw her weeping, well, let me stop there for a minute. Again, disappointment with Jesus. What she's saying is, Lord, you weren't here in my greatest moment of need. Now, I'm not saying that Martha and Mary had bad attitudes toward Jesus. I'm not saying they were blaming him for Lazarus' death. I'm saying that they were sorrowfully disappointed that Jesus had not been there at just the time they needed him to prevent their brother from dying. Because, you know, they had seen him heal so many people of diseases. They had seen him restore broken body parts so that they could, you know, walk again or be with people again. He had fixed, he had helped so many people, freed so many people from torturous demons. But he wasn't there for them in their time of greatest need. And you know, the way both Martha and Mary worded their sorrow, they said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Lord, you weren't here. You know, they could have said, Lord, we lost our brother. We're heartbroken. We don't even know what to do now. We lost our brother. But they said, both of them said, Lord, if you had been here, our brother would not have died. 
and they're disappointed that Jesus wasn't there at the time they needed him most. Not that they were bitter at him. I think they truly loved him. But they were so sorrowful because he was not there to help them. <clears throat> and you know what? That's what I see today. Especially in American Christianity. I see people very disappointed with Jesus. And it's because of expectations that they had. Mary and Martha sort of like expected that Jesus would be there when, her, when they needed him for their brother. And he wasn't. But of course, he didn't promise them that. He didn't promise them, I'll be there whenever your brother gets hurt, you know, or anything. Now I can see that their brother, you know, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus, he was the one that probably took care of them, being the male in the family. So their loss of him was probably you know, extra hard. <clears throat> but I think what happens is we get these expectations, you know, from I don't know where. Could be, you know, other people, could be from our society, could be from, from preachers, you know, whatever. We get these expectations that Jesus will always do this, and if we go to Jesus, he will do this, and we'll never have this. <clears throat> and some of them aren't really true expectations. They can happen, but Jesus isn't promising they will always happen. So look how, uh, how Mary's deep sorrow affects Jesus now as we go on. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. It's not moving forward now. <laughs> Thank you. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Now listen to this. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind, the blind man, have kept this man from dying? Even part of the crowd is saying that. Couldn't he have kept him from dying? So even disappointment in that statement because Jesus did not keep Lazarus from dying. <clears throat> Expectations. It comes down to expectations. People have certain expectations of Jesus or of the Father. And if he doesn't do it the way that we decide, we get disappointed in him. And I've been saying this over the weeks, but people look at things happening in the world and they'll say, well, how could a loving God allow that to happen? Or people look at their own situation and maybe they get cheated out of a lot of money. Or maybe they get illness, an illness that's debilitating. How could God allow that to happen? Where was God when I needed him? This is what they're saying, isn't it? Jesus, if you had been here, where were you when we needed you? And it's because we build those expectations. 
But God hasn't promised everything in that way. But he has promised the most. But look at verses 38 to 44 now. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha. Now you can tell now that Martha wasn't asking him to raise him up because now, listen to this. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor for he has been there four days. So she's not thinking that Jesus is going to do anything here. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this, he's saying, I said this out loud for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe you sent me. Is that the right one? When, oh, when he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. I mean, he was really in, really dead, right? <laughs> Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. <clears throat> now, what did Jesus say earlier to them? He said several things. This sickness will not end in death, but it is for God's glory. He said, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. He said, I'm glad I wasn't there so that you may believe. He said, your brother will rise again. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he dies. And then he says, did I not tell you that if you believe you will see the glory of God? And then he said, Lazarus, come out. Take off those grave clothes. Free him. You know, <clears throat> it's difficult to believe. It's difficult to believe Jesus passed what we can see or what we've heard about or what we've experienced. Because, you know, we're so earthly minded. And, of course, that's understandable. We were made from the earth. We live on the earth. We live off the earth. But Jesus, the Lord, wants us to see beyond the earthly connections that we have to what the promises of God. We need to become more heavenly-minded, don't we? And trust God beyond what we can see. On the other hand, we can't make up what God has to do for us because he hasn't promised everything that we would like him to do. And isn't this what the Easter season is all about? So I think because of what's happening, you know, in our nation, across the world, <clears throat> and the trouble that we see, and the problems that we encounter, and the things we're disappointed in, I think we have to work at not getting disappointed with Jesus when things don't come out the way that we think they should. 
even when things should have come out a different way. And we think Jesus should have stopped that wrong from happening. Jesus should have not allowed that person to cheat us. Jesus should have not allowed that person to use, you know, illegitimate means to gain control, to gain power, to gain money. Why isn't he stopping that person from cheating everybody? Why isn't he stopping that person from killing people? And you see, Jesus hasn't promised that he would stop every bad. He has told us that the world has gone away from him and things are getting worse, but he's going to come down and he's going to fix everything. And that's where our hope is. He's going to get it, make it all right. He's going to return. He's going to right every wrong. And he's going to build a kingdom that will last forever. And then we will see Jesus hold to his promises. Promises that, <clears throat> that will be better than any ones that we wished we had. So, I think when we're tempted to fall into disappointment, think of Martha and Mary. Watch, walk, think of Martha and Mary watching their deceased brother, you know, wrapped in, in clothes of death, walk out of the tomb and take off that, that, that wrap off his face and be free to life again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these stories in the scriptures that really teach us about who you are and what you do and what we can truly expect. And Lord, we just pray that you will shape our minds and help shape our hearts so that we will have legitimate uh, expectations of you. And we will allow you to be who you are in our minds so that we will not be disappointed and we can encourage others to follow you no matter what happens, no matter how, how much it hurts, no matter how much it seems that we're on our own. We know that you are there. We, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.